fabulous. Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Ah. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com. Comfortably nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area. I'm still trying to figure out what is so comfortable about this secret bunker. I don't know. It seems like an old cigar in here. Yeah. <laughs> why, why is it secret? <laughs> yeah, why is it secret? Hang on. Pearl's choking. Pearl's dying. Yeah, it's because I read a review of the program that said the elderly gentleman who hosts the show needs to find the cough button because he has coughing fits and chokes on the air. That would be you. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm older than you are. Yes, you are. I'm older than just about everybody. Yes, you are. I'm not older than Leonard Bouchel. No, I am older yes, than Leonard are. Bouchel. <laughs> yes. No, no, you are not. Wait a minute. No, I'm, I'm older than you are, Leonard. I readjusted my Wikipedia page. I'm not as old as you are. Oh, okay. <laughs> My Wikipedia page said I had three testicles. They didn't know who the third one belonged to. <laughs> but I fixed that. Well, you your, can hold your ex-wife. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Ah, tragic story. Uh, well, welcome back, Leonard. Leonard was going to be sitting here next to me, but you've heard of secondhand smoke. There's third or tertiary smoke. That's what it's so soaked into the walls. That's <laughs> no, true. They uh, Look. It's like Leonard's brain. How long does it take for cannabis to get out of your brain cells? Anybody know? Leonard, do you have any idea? I'm still waiting. <laughs> He's still waiting. <laughs> That's, now, now we're That's the answer. Now we have a show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for those I, of you who I, don't... I know I, was, I know I wasn't your first choice this afternoon, so I do thank you for the opportunity to state my case. Uh, yes. I understand that you had originally invited Brett Kavanaugh to appear on the show. <laughs> yeah, but he was got, busy drinking. <laughs> Did I, I step on your punchline? <laughs> I heard he got hit in the head with a keg of beer this morning, got an instant erection, and has been cruising high schools ever since. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sometimes we just like to bring back those childhood memories. <laughs> Yes, you do. Yeah. I certainly do. Certainly. Oh, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Leonard Bouchel has been, uh, it's been about, about a year since he was here last time, and did a pretty good job of keeping him out. like a lifetime. <laughs> uh, Leonard uh, was a rather successful international drug smuggler uh, until, the, in an attempt to avoid arrest, what was it? You thought you were maybe going to get, get busted? Yes. And so you, you had a clever idea. What was that? Uh, I checked into the Betty Ford Center and asked Betty Ford to be my honorary grandmother. <laughs> yeah? Assuming she had some connections that could uh, alleviate a long sentence. Yeah, like a comma. So you figured that if you went into Betty Ford's treatment center, it would be a good cover for you if the... Uh, Feds came looking for you to arrest you for drug smuggling. Well, in addition, I was having a nervous breakdown and suffering from severe drug and alcohol abuse. Oh. So it's the, <laughs> so it was it's not, the it was not a complete. It was not a complete fiction. Oh, okay. But when you, when you uh, 
You know, driving around Palm Springs looking for the Betty Ford Center, you could get caught in a maelstrom of Republican-named streets. Sign of Shore Lane, Frank Sinatra Way, Bob Hope Avenue. Yeah. Yes. So exciting. <laughs> Glad you brought that up, Earl. Yeah. Yeah, why is that? Well, I just remember that and then reading your biography. I was asking Howard, why, why was he glad you brought that up? <laughs> I don't know. Lord only knows. I that was did did <laughs> you do one of those uh, intakes where they asked you what, what drugs you did in the last 48 hours? Uh, well, they took my blood so they could find out for themselves. Nah. And I did test positive for uh, a small handful of various substances. <laughs> a small handful? You don't need a big handful of a lot of those substances, Leonard. Of course, you know that. Hey, I got a question for you. Being as you were a successful drug smuggler and uh, drug dealer, not a pusher, mind you, but a drug dealer, what what do you think the gross amount of dollars you made uh, selling drugs in your career? Have you suddenly gone to work for the IRS? For a while? <laughs> well, it's, the statute of limitations is up as long as you've been filing your taxes, so you're okay. That's another assumption. Another assumption. It's assumption. Well, let's say review. more than a thousand dollars. Well, let me re, 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 uh, let me redefine success. Success means never having gotten busted and done time. It doesn't necessarily. Uh, equate to the amount of money I made or didn't make. Right. The success comes from getting to the end zone without getting tackled. Ah, very good. Very good. I was discussing that with our friend uh, Pavle Stanimirovic, a.k.a. Punch. Uh, the problem about going to prison, besides the fact I've never been there and I don't want to go there, is that people come out of there thinking that their rap sheet is a resume. It's like a list of their successes. No, it's not. <laughs> it's a list of things that you didn't do well enough that you got popped. Precisely. And you, uh, like, here's my resume. Here's my rap sheet. No, you don't want a long rap sheet. If you failed in the drug business, you didn't get demoted. You didn't get a timeout. You didn't get uh, held back from a promotion. You got to jail or shot. Or shot. Or both. And when you get to jail, you really learn things. Oh, yeah. I Walla Walla State Penitentiary, the inmates were telling me how they were shooting morphine uh, under their tongues <laughs> to keep themselves amused. And, of course, the guards uh, provided all that stuff for them. Because it's nice of them. Humanitarian. Oh, get closer to the microphone, Mark. He might want to hear you. No, he doesn't want to hear me. Yeah, go ahead. Um, <clears throat> you had partners in your little business. Uh, how, what was their reaction to you uh, walking away? Did you hear that, Leonard? Mark, it's a little, a little difficult to hear you, Mark. I heard something about a partnership you're looking for. Yeah, you, you had partners, let's say, in your drug uh, enterprises. Uh, time to time. Uh, how did they feel about you uh, suddenly retiring? I apologized. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that lets you off the hook right there. And, and 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 gave him a few people's numbers that I wasn't going to need anymore. Well, that's nice. It's like yeah. uh, the uh, the uh, fellow I met from uh, where was he from? 
uh, Boston, I guess, New Jersey, I don't know, he was someplace, where he and his dad had an incredibly lucrative uh, drug-selling business. And then one day he had decided that he didn't want to do that anymore. And uh, so he turned the whole thing over to his father. He did it in this very organized, you know, step, uh -huh. uh, like any other business, you know. He didn't just say, hey, Dad, screw you, I'm going straight. You know, very, very carefully. No, he gave his, he gave his father the opportunity to get busted and go to jail. Right. So he could sleep with his mother. I get that. <laughs> they were close-knit family. So to speak. The right. In fact, they do a lot of knitting in prison. <laughs> they do. They do, actually. Make some peace quilts. Sure. Uh, uh, so you went into Betty Ford's with the intention of basically covering your ass and if... Uh, Made it look no, better. I went to Betty Ford to stop the nervous breakdown and to not die from drugs for a month. But didn't you also have a joint already rolled and spoke on the way home from leaving Betty Ford's? I did. I didn't know that uh, I was going to experience a full-fledged miracle while I was there. Oh, well, talk, talk the about that. Day, the second day at the Betty Ford Center, I walked outside and all desire for drugs left me. Wow. After using on a daily basis for 26 years. Ooh, that's amazing. And it, it's, it's amazing. Yes, it was amazing. And that uh, desire not to use drugs has stayed with me for quite a long time. Now, what about drinking? Did the, the desire for drinking stay with you for a while? The lure of drinking, the romance of drinking did stay with me and stays with me to this day. And which probably helped encourage my uh, regular attendance of uh, AA meetings to keep that demon at bay. That's interesting. You know, different, you know, say different strokes for different folks, you know, different things appeal to different people. Yeah. Uh, I never had any interest in drinking anything other than soda pop and water. Well, the most interesting, uh, you know, the phrase that has kept me from drinking is alcohol is a liquid drug. And I know I'm a drug addict. And I, if I take anything that makes me feel better than I do right this minute, I'll want to feel better again later. And I'll want to feel better tomorrow. And I'll want to feel better and better. So I look yeah. at alcohol as a liquid drug. It's a liquefied drug. And I shouldn't use drugs anymore. Yeah, especially ones I've that had, are poison. I've had my <laughs> allotment for the lifetime. Yeah, you caught your limit. So what did you replace that with? Uh, an equal amount of enthusiasm for not doing drugs. Okay. For an equal amount of curiosity as to what is life like, you know, physically and emotionally without using drugs. It's a fascinating experiment. And I suggest anybody who sort of is done using drugs that they should, you know, at least attempt it. Um, well, it's so kind of like uh, like war. Let's say we've had 6,000 years of uh, almost nonstop wars on the planet. If we took 1,000 years with no wars at all, if after that 1,000 years we didn't like it, we could go back to the other way of having wars all the time. Well, I don't think we have to. How about one year? <laughs> one year would be enough. Year. Six months would work for without, without a war. One yeah. year. One day. That would be great. Days. Yes, all, this, all, the, all the generals should go to a 30-day program. Can they live without war? No, because it's their livelihood. 
That's right. If you're an arms manufacturer, what else are you going to do for a living? Uh, manufacture prosthetics. Pathetics or prosthetics? Prosthetics. <laughs> oh, yes. You already got to build an audience as a tragic story. You make story. your audience, yeah. Yeah, that's sad. It yeah, really your is. Audience, your audience will really blow up. Oh, jeez. <laughs> All right. Do you guys, thinking of an audience blowing up, that Leonard's previous appearance on the show about a year ago is our most downloaded program is that right? on, on iTunes? I did not know that. Yeah, isn't that weird? <laughs> There's no uh, I, explanation I would, for I, it. <laughs> I would check your counter program. Yeah? But well, it's not ours. It's iTunes counts them. Hopefully it's because the banter that you two provide is, is just too entertaining. That might be it. It's a little sarcasm there. Yeah, I think so. Wow. No, no, it wasn't. No, compared to what else is going on in the media today, this is like a breath of fresh air, which is hard to find in Granada Hills. <laughs> Especially in this room where you have yes. tertiary smoke. You know, I have, I've had this lifelong incredible allergy to cigars and smoke. Uh, whether it's burning or just had been in the room previously. And I was hoping that after Bill Cosby got busted, oh, people would stop smoking cigars. But such is not the case. No, actually, it's interesting that a lot of people who have asthma will smoke cigars for health reasons. They don't inhale. But it regulates their breathing pattern. That's because it's not a, it's not an allergy; it's a dislike or an aversion. Well, I would think maybe cigarettes would do the same thing. Yeah, would C- cigarettes are compl- those are completely different animal. Different uh, all sorts of carcinogens and uh, and unnatural products in there. And so I'm a, you know I, I can't stand cigarette smoke. But he smokes cigars, yeah. Because it's an all natural product; it's just the leaf. <laughs> That's a leaf well, you can say. Yeah. Anything yeah. that can help support the Cuban people, I'm all for. <laughs> wow, well, uh, Cuban people, my friend. We're not, we're not, we're not smoking uh, Cubans. And by the way, smoking Cuban cigars does the—it's the antithesis of helping the Cuban people. Oh, who runs the uh, tobacco industry down there? That's the antithesis. Those people are treated like crap, and all the good Cubans—I mean, the, the lucky Cubans—got the hell out. My, in Miami. Oh, in Miami. My little friend, and that's why that's why all the good rollers, all the good cigar rollers, are no longer in Cuba. They're they're all in the DR or Miami or or you know across the, uh, Nicaragua, and because the good ones got the hell out, and so now you know it's it's a poor quality product. It's it's too bad. The people of Cuba are treated like crap. Maybe things will change now, my little friend. Oh, quiet, girl. <laughs> But bad Al Pacino. Uh, I'm glad they're being treated better on Puerto Rico. Yeah, a little sarcasm there. I love you've been to Puerto Rico, haven't you? I have. Yeah, me too. I love Puerto Rico. I'd uh, recently come back from there and they had that hurt. I saw what happened, and oh, it's how awful! And that is just a gorgeous place, beautiful place, wonderful people. It's it's part of America, and there yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like Jackie Mason used to say, he used to like to go to Puerto Rico once a year to visit his hubcaps. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line. Did yeah. yeah. I always figured that anti-Semites 
when their mother was pregnant, she was bitten by Jackie Mason. I don't understand that. I'll explain it to you later. Okay. So there you were, minding your own business. Uh, you know, Israel is becoming more and more famous as a uh, drug smuggling hub. I didn't know that. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, and money laundering. Well, it's money laundering in the uh, Diamond District by the uh, Hasidics, and then the money goes back to Israel. It's a very complex thing. I've read a whole big like, government uh, or FBI. Well, you brought it up. Why don't you just walk us through it quickly? Okay. you got the Colombian cartels. they got too much money. They don't know what to do with it all. It's so much money that you can't stuff your couch with it. You know, you've got to somehow make it legit. So what they wind up doing is cutting deals with uh, jewelry manufacturing companies to launder the money, basically, through the—it goes to the uh, Jewish gentlemen and ladies running, uh, say, a gold manufacturing firm. And they make uh, gold belt buckles, gold this, gold that. And that becomes legitimate money when it's resold in New York— and the wind up having is, is they discovered with what was called Operation El Dorado in uh, New York, which was all about money laundering. Didn't care what else you were doing. Didn't care what you were selling, what you were stealing. Well, it just one thing, and that was follow the people with the with the money. Where was the money going? And it was giant canvas bags, in many cases, filled with money that would be put in like a truck and driven to some yeshiva out in New Jersey, and then from there to some rabbi in New York, who then goes uh, right of return to Israel. <laughs> it's very complex, but they call it the, uh, it's a triangle, the Colombian drug cartels, New York Diamond District, and uh, in Israel. Not the government of Israel, so but... they have to convert the cash into something that they can get. Yeah, they convert to Christianity. <laughs> Yeah, you have to take the cash and turn it into something legitimate, like the TV show Ozarks, which is a great show. Yes. I don't know if Leonard's watched that one. Have you seen that one, Leonard? Leonard? No, but I will now that I know that it's financed by drug money. There you go. <laughs> there you go. It'll bring back happy memories. <laughs> it's yeah, something it I figure you, that Leonard could relate to because the story is this guy, uh, in order to stay alive and make some guilt, uh, goes to do money laundering for a South American cartel in the Ozarks. <laughs> you actually, so I think, you, you, is that where you got your information from, Burl, or have you actually read some books about this? I actually read some books about it. I thought you did. Yeah, I tend to do that. That's the thing about being a true crime researcher is you have to do research. And you have to, and not only that, but the... It would be a crime not to. Yes, it certainly oh. it would be a crime. Uh, with Kensington Publishing Company, they have a team of fact-checkers. And anything you say, they check it out. I mean, if it's opinion, it's opinion. But if you say, Howard Lapidus went to uh, Whitman College, because you think he did, and you read it somewhere, they're going to call you up and say, uh, Howard Lapidus did not go to Whitman College. He graduated such and such year with such and such, you know, from the real place. Or if you say Leonard Bouchel works as a photographer in New Jersey and you don't, maybe you did once, but you no longer do, they'll call up and say he no longer works as a photographer in New Jersey. He stopped doing that in 19— I, I worked as a photographer in Philadelphia. Yes. 
Right. You got it. So I can't say anything wrong. They fix it for me. They didn't tell me what I've got wrong. Uh, I mean, fact-checking is, is soon to become a lost art, I'm afraid. <laughs> I really worry about it. <laughs> just, just make it up as we go along. That's called fiction. But, uh, it's, it's a strange thing. Did you ever do any money laundering? Would you like to? Would you like to? I was a blood. Uh, no, no. I felt dirty money should stay dirty. Uh, good thinking on your part. Uh, in fact, I was going to to, uh, <laughs> to mention I. The, the the most I did with money laundering was walk around Wall Street with bags of money, changing in. Uh, a thousand dollars worth of twenty dollar bills for hundred dollar bills because the dealers that we were working with wouldn't accept twenty dollar bills because they were too bulky to get back in the planes to fly back to Colombia. Yeah, that's a so common problem. Accept, so they would only accept hundreds, so we'd had to spend a day in Wall Street going from bank to bank. Wow, that must have been a challenge and a half. I wonder how these guys must fly in, in private planes. <laughs> well, if they had enough cash, they had to, yeah. I can remember that. I think it's in the, what was it, Scarface, where uh, you see these guys with giant bags of money going into the banks in, in uh, Florida, laundering the money. I never saw the film. I, I can't say. Uh, that is in that film, isn't it, Howard, where they're carrying the giant bags of it's money? It's right there. Yeah. And you should see the film. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I love... Pacino. He speaks highly of you also. <laughs> uh, Al Pacino so, is an interesting character. You know that when Al Pacino and Robert De Niro did that uh, the movie uh, Heat. Heat, they were never in the same room at the same time? That famous scene where they're sitting in the coffee shop? All this, it was all oh, done uh, individually, which is tragic. I thought so. Also. Yeah, Matt thought so, too. Yeah, I thought so. Because it looks like a TV, because in TV shows, they'll shoot all the reaction shots and all the dialogue shots without the other person, and then they glue them all together. And that scene looked like it was from a TV show. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. that's how you Other know. than the, uh, the... Get closer. Other than the, uh, the fight scene, you know, the, the uh, armed fight scene right. the movie was pretty, pretty lame. Pretty what? Lame. Well, that's because he was shot in the leg. <laughs> Get on pump. the horse. <laughs> we're pretty tricky around here. So you go to Betty Ford's because you're having a nervous bread van. What were you having a breakdown over? What was triggering that? Just life in general? Uh, a romantic breakup and probably from using drugs for 26 years every day. And at a certain point, your system can't just absorb anymore without it going into shock or free fall or some sort of panic. So after about three days or two, three days, you step outside and you don't have that craving anymore? Not at all. Which, I, of course, blew my mind. I knew other people like that. They didn't have, didn't, they had the exact same experience, but it was, wasn't necessarily Betty Ford's. They just stepped outside one day and went, hey, I just noticed I'm not craving any drugs. Well, that's called a free well, pass. Well, there's an old Japanese saying that at its extreme, everything turns to its opposite. Uh -huh. And I think that's what might have happened to me. 
As you went so far one direction, yeah, the, the, you wound the, the up the other. The vessel can only hold so much before it spills over or pours out. And my vessel was full and there was no more room. Yeah, so you caught your and limit. And after having not used for 28 days, I thought, I might never have this opportunity again. You'd be somewhere for 28 days where you don't have access to drugs or alcohol. So now with and I thought the fact that it was even possible, uh, I thought was miraculous. I didn't know you could go a month without smoking pot. I, I thought I would have a, you know, something would happen to me. Sort of like going without oxygen for a month. That I, I can do. <laughs> so how, how, many days, how many days sober were you? before you felt any kind of release? How many days sober was I before I what? Before you, you felt that you had released yourself from the drug. Uh, about a week, I went to Betty Ford for 28 days. Uh, about a week later, uh, my girlfriend came over and uh, well, I was madly in love with. And, but she was shaking a little bit, and so she took, took a bottle of wine out of her bag and said, could you open this for me? And she gave me a corkscrew. Let's and go. so I opened the wine for her and poured it into a glass, and I thought, hmm, I don't want any. And then about a half hour later, she took out a little bindle of Coke and said, hey, I need to do some of this too. And I said, okay. And then she says, but you have to chop it up for me. So there I am with like five weeks over, chopping up Coke, smelling her red wine coming out of her breath and her glass, and I didn't do either of them, which is why sometimes I'll often say temptation is a good thing, because if you don't overcome temptation, you don't really know what you're capable of. And so with the temptation of the wine and the cocaine and me not doing any. I knew I was sort of uh, home free, so to speak. Because if there ever was a time, that would have been it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, and I haven't, for 24 years. So it's sort of like an epiphany. It's sort of like turning a corner. Once you turn a corner, if you keep walking straight, the odds of running back and going back the other way becomes more and more remote. Yep. And there, uh, you know, I did avoid reggae concerts for the first year because I was afraid if I got a good whiff of pot, that could trigger some sort of uh, you know, unstoppable craving. But I did avoid reggae concerts. Um, so there are little, you know, sort of like not having a safe word, but sort of like knowing. Uh, if you're going to meet someone at a restaurant, don't meet them at the bar, meet them at a table. Little things. Now it doesn't matter. I can sit at a bar all night uh, and nurse an IC if I, if I need to. Uh, but there is a first year if you don't tempt your... your the old synapses will kick in real fast. Yes, because, you know, the brain circuitry was always... It's like the first time I went to New York was difficult because... If I had 15 minutes to fill in New York, I would walk into a bar because I would feel really comfortable there. It'd be dark. It'd be friendly. Uh, and so the first time I was in New York and I had a half hour to fill, it's like, where do you go? There's only so much coffee you can drink. Uh, so you find 
Oh, as long as we're on the topic of New York, will you please share one of my favorite Leonard Bouchel New York stories? I think it takes place over Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. <laughs> when you're in an apartment building, they got jackhammers and all that stuff, and you have to go do a presentation on... Uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, go ahead. Tell the story. I, I was in New York trying to representing a, uh, a project called Fit Kids. Uh, it was a three-album, uh, three-album set of songs for kids to exercise to, and we had a meeting at ABC, uh, ten in the morning, and it turned out that I didn't have a sport jacket, and the dry cleaner was closed because it was a Jewish holiday. It wasn't Yom Kippur, because then ABC would have probably been closed. So I'm just. In a shirt, my partner stops in the taxi, picks me up to go to ABC. In the meantime, I've been up literally all night uh, getting high and drinking. So I'm barely holding it together. <laughs> and we get to ABC, we get in the elevator. And the elevator's there, as I said, take you up so fast, they don't, they don't, they don't want any extra time between you and your rejection. <laughs> so the elevator speeds you up to the office, and we're sitting at the desk. And I'm sitting right in front of one of those pen sets with the three pens and the little marbles. Mm -hmm. uh, and the pens, for some reason, are pointing away from the guy at the desk and pointing towards me. And I'm thinking, I'm about to pass out, and I could do a header into the pen set and lose my eye. <laughs> That's gross. And meanwhile, the sweat is flying off my head, and it was fall, so it wasn't all that hot. And I just remember completely holding on to my chair, thinking, fall this way, fall to the left, fall to the right, don't fall forward. <laughs> and it turned out we did not get the deal, and they ended up giving it to Mary Lou Retton. Oh. You know, the, Olymp the little Olympic yeah. athlete. They chose her over you? <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Coke dealer from Philly doesn't get the exercise deal for the kiddies. <laughs> They give it to Mary, Mary Lou Retton, at which point I knew politics were involved. Yeah, yeah. But you were a close second. Come on. We, we got, yes, we got the meeting. Yes. And uh, it's funny, the elevator going down is even faster, like towards hell. <laughs> like, get the fuck out of the building. Excuse my language. Yeah. That's, uh, that's probably the way it is. Howard would know. He does a lot of dealings with networks, don't you, Howard? I know he's a pitch artist. Yeah, that that I am. I, I I'm very very good at the elevator. <laughs> you're probably not shaking or sweating. No. While you're waiting for your appointment. No, I I go up that elevator perfectly. Yeah. That's nice. That's the elevator nice. knows him still, personally. I think they still had elevator operators back then. They would look at you, and depending on how pale you were, they would know how fast to get you up there. <laughs> <laughs> Get this. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I hold no resentments against ABC. I think it's a terrific network. Well, they say the same about you. Say, if we want a, a coke-addled drug addict, we won't go get Leonard because he's retired from that game. Hey, you were kidnapped more than once or twice, weren't you? Uh, no, I was... Uh, I thought I was about to be kidnapped. We had uh, we were in, on the East Coast, and we had brought up, brought up a rented car from Florida with 300 pounds of pot in the trunk. 
And when the gentleman went to return it to the rental car agency, he was stopped by some bandits, and he was kidnapped. Oh. So I get a call and says, Leonard, our guy, our driver was just kidnapped, but your name is on the rental receipt, so you're probably next. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I remember... While still on the phone with him with the long extension cords, while I'm talking to my friend in New York telling me about the guy being kidnapped, I'm packing a bag. (laughs) I'm I'm packing, calling a taxi. And I was out of there, like, within an hour. Did Um, the uh, kidnapped guy ever get back? Yeah, I think it was only, like, 30 or 40,000 they were looking for. Yeah, jump change. You know, they knew knew our, our, our sweet spot for what we would pay to get a friend back. That's uh, something. So hey, well, did you go down to Jamaica or someplace looking for somebody and you found him in a dice game on the corner or something? Just vaguely remember Oh, that. well, that's not that interesting, going to oh. Jamaica and ending up first night getting to a high-stakes poker game in the middle of the woods with some Rastafarians playing with, with flashlights. That's <laughs> just... Uh, that sounds very peculiar, a, Leonard. Well, not to a poker player. <laughs> or to a pothead. Uh, no, you're correct. Yeah, what, which are you? Oh, that's, that's Mark well, Boyer. Uh, He's a poker player. I'm a poopy head, but I am a poker player. You know, I never got into to, uh, Texas Hold'em, so I sort of, uh, a lot of my poker game days are over. Yeah, well, uh, you, you know, know we like uh, I never played games, Texas you know, $10, Annie's Annie for everybody, uh, dealer's choice. The whole Holden thing seems too ma- too ma- mathematical to me. Hmm. See, I'm not good at math anyway. It's actually quite boring. <laughs> well, you fit right boring, in. Right? If you don't have a <laughs> if you don't have a pair or 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 you know the two high cards of the same suit, you you can't play. And you're watching, and it's I never thought of poker as a spectator sport. Right. Poker is an entertaining spectacle. I was a compulsive gambler growing up, but I beat that. I beat that. And now if I go yeah. someplace or to a track, I can make a few bets and not stay there all day. Yeah, so what were the odds of you beating that? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Dead up, bump. What are the odds of getting through this segment with no more profanity? <laughs> Very good. Uh, 50-50. No, I'd say better than that. <laughs> okay. Okay, so you always liked movies. Do you remember the first movie that you were crazy about? Oh, oh. I mean, will I sound lame if I say uh, Ben-Hur? No. No, that makes sense. And Todd Hill. West Side, West Side Story. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, uh, you know, fantastic films, and they, and they hold up. Uh, we do have a film festival coming up in October. Uh, if anybody wants to come to the seven-day Real Recovery Film Festival at the Royal Theater in Santa Monica, California, call Bear and he'll send you some tickets. Oh, how about that? Well, very it's, nice. it's October 24th to the 30th. We have two special screenings. We have mostly we have 55 original films, but we're also uh, nodding to some of the classics, including a 30th anniversary screening of Clean and Sober. Wow. Can you believe it's 30 years? No, uh, no that's... Over. No, I can't believe it. 30 years? Wow. Jeez. 30 years. And we're having a 20th anniversary screening 
of Permanent Midnight. Oh. Uh, with uh, the author, Jerry Stahl, will be there to introduce it and discuss it afterwards. And coincidentally, the first year of our first film festival, 10 mm -hmm. years ago, the very first film we showed was Permanent Midnight. And Ben and Stiller Jerry was Stahl there. came with Ben Stiller, and they talked for about a half hour after the film. It was a thrill for, you know, for everybody to hear the behind-the-scenes uh, stories about Permanent Midnight. And so we are ending this 10th anniversary Real Recovery Film Festival with a screening of Permanent Midnight, sort of like a bookend, a 10-year bookend. No, and the cleanest was, was Michael was, Keaton, isn't it? Michael Keaton is clean and sober. Jer uh, ben Stiller plays Jerry Stahl in the movie Permanent Midnight. Right. If you're not in L.A. and can't get to the Royal Theater, I'm sure it's streaming somewhere. <laughs> or you just go to the video store. That's a good film. Uh, yeah, go where? Right. Did you have a time machine, Pearl? What's yeah. that? To go to the video you store. Go to the video store. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there is Redbox. No, never mind. There is Redbox. Red I mean, I can't just run down the blockbuster. Redbox is. Well, they're gone. Oh. Don't have computers. Boy, I wish I would invest in Blockbuster when the time was right. And Warehouse is gone. Virgin is gone. We all miss Blockbuster. I think there's we one left. You so. could go in there and end up taking an hour and a half to pick out a movie and then fall asleep in the middle of it. <laughs> Easily, yes. <laughs> So I, I would fall asleep during all night hunt. With it. <laughs> what was that? Hello. I want to. I don't know. A couple of years ago, there were a bunch of great movies out, like La La Land, and a, a movie that went completely unnoticed by Warren Beatty, uh, where he plays Howard Hughes. It was a movie called Rules. R U L E S. Rules don't apply. Never heard of it. Catch that streaming. It's a fabulous romantic comedy where he actually plays someone his own age. <laughs> That's usual. I was just talking yeah. about Howard Hughes last night. Or this morning, yeah. rather. It was it was in the ether. That must be it. Because it was an ad on TV for Hughes Internet or whatever, Hughes Satellite Television. And with that Howard Hughes, he's got his fingers in every pie. Which he did. Dead or alive. Yeah, yeah just fingers like are in Brett there. Kavanaugh. Uh, yeah, him too. You know that Don Waldman, the great Don Waldman, was the original co-host of the show. He I was do. the uh, Don Waldman was the attorney involved in the Melvin and Howard case, and he said Melvin was right. That's what was real. And Howard usually did do that. Guy got screwed out of his money. That was uh, did Jason Robards play him in the movie Harold and Melvin? Yeah. Melvin and Harold. Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. So you have any? Oh, you got uh, Jerry Stahl coming. You have any other celebrities stumbling in? Do you think? Besides you and me. I'll let you know as they start to uh, send the rejection letters. <laughs> we have a number of filmmakers coming in from Canada, New Jersey, uh, at least six cities from outside LA are coming in to present their films. Wow. So they may not be famous yet, but hopefully they will be one day. They made some terrific films. You got a, uh, now, you've been doing this for 10 years. Yes. Has the number of uh, people inundating you with clips from their films uh, increased dramatically, or, or does it kind of stay 
There's a certain avant-garde. Well, we, like we like to call them submissions and not clips. Yeah. If people send us the whole movie or they'll send us a link so we can watch it online. Uh, we get about 150 submissions a year, and we pick the best. We, just, we only pick the good, the good ones. Uh, well, know, we don't pick really, anything that's boring. We pick honest, entertaining, uh, sometimes educational films. They're not meant to be educational, but you learn something by watching them. And yeah. we have a terrific film called Animals, sort of like it's a modern uh, Anakin Needle Park. It's not Al Pacino, uh, but it's some great actors. It's called Animal, about this beautiful couple who just happened to be uh, heroin addicts. And it's a very uh, cinematic portrayal of what that life is like. And I wish therapists and 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 psychologists would come see it because they have clients who might be addicted to heroin, but they really don't. And so they only see them in their office. They don't really see how they live. And this movie could give them an accurate picture of what's going on when, when they're not at the rehab or they're not in the office. That's important to I get a glimpse so. of real life. I think so. And it helps some people in recovery to see what life used to be like and to remind them they don't want to go back there. And we also have movies where people are uh, are recovering or quitting, and that's oh. also very inspirational for people to see. Now, you just uh, gave a talk that was some sort of uh, let's do opiates convention or what to do about opiates. Or... Actually, it wasn't called an opiate convention. It was called an opiate summit. Oh. And I reminded my, I asked my audience uh, if there were any ex-heroin addicts in the audience, and no one raised their hand. And I was reminded of this brilliant doctor who said, it says, it's hard to discuss the opiate crisis without, without talking about how good heroin makes you feel. And it's not just this random substance that makes you feel okay. As Lenny Bruce, the great comedian, said, every time he did a shot of heroin, it made him feel like he was being kissed by God. And I would assume God is a great kisser. <laughs> And I say that's the competition to get people off of it. Like, what kind of life of joy and 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 uh, bliss and happiness is out there to surplant? It's like someone asked me earlier, what did I replace all the drugs and booze with? Uh, I replaced it with the unknown, which I know takes a lot of courage and kahunas to to walk towards. But you have to have some familiarity with Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. Uh, you have to have some faith that there is something better on the horizon or around the corner because you know from whence you came, it is nothing but death and destruction. And not just of yourself, but of your loved ones and your family and your children. And so it's good to know about the hero's journey, which everyone has to go through. And... To just keep, you know, to let go of the crutches that you've been using for so long. It takes a very courageous person to let go of crutches and to walk, perhaps unstably at first. But ultimately, to, you have to have a desire to become a free man. If you don't, then what's the use? And so you replace it with some sort of newfound explorer-type Marco Polo uh, 
Ferdinand Magellan energy, where you just want to see what's on the horizon. You want to and, live your life awake? And awake and healthier. You know, I've gone through some serious surgeries uh, since I quit using drugs, and I think one of them probably would have killed me if I was my body was still polluted with with. With, with drugs and alcohol, I don't think I would have lived through both of them. Uh, so for that alone, and we know as the people who are lucky enough to, to age into middle age, or what's the stage between middle age and old age? Uh, desperation. You know, into your 60s, it's good to be strong, it's good to be healthy, uh, because unfortunately in this modern toxic society, something's going to get you. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what they said about Ike and Tina Turner. If Ike don't get you, Tina will. You know, it's one way or the other. I, I, I hadn't well, heard I'm that. I'm glad before. you added that on to my, <laughs> to my mythologically uh, astute observation. That's what the Ike can't say. Drug and, I, uh, you know, by the old friend Nancy with her giant rack bigger than Nordstrom's we went to see Ike and Tina, and we were with them afterwards backstage. And uh, Ike was all over Nancy like a cheap suit, and, and Tina's feeling me up under the table. We're having a delightful time. And then when when Nancy left, well, they they did that because wait, wait, Pearl, they did that because you were a disc jockey, and you would play their songs more often if you got a little. Well, according to Tina, it was because got to remember this is 1969. I was she loved quote Jewish men quote yes. Yeah. A cute a young Jewish too. boy. <laughs> Tina had a thing for, uh, yeah, but that's what the I can't say. So the point being, <laughs> I've lost my point. Oh, I, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> the, old man, the, the old phone, man hacking away. <clears throat> I'm mad at CNN text. One of the problems in the whole drugs in America is fear mongering and rapid amounts of misinformation. And yeah. CNN had an article online about anyways, I won the misinformation word, saying that meth was replacing uh, heroin. The people who couldn't get heroin were were doing meth, and uh, the recreational meth crisis was increasing. They were talking about uh, Arizona, and I oh. next read the actual government studies. And as methamphetamine use in America peaked 20, over 20 years ago, and in Arizona, Kentucky, all those places, they're not using it recreationally. They're using it to work because they've got to yes. work like three jobs. Right. That's what I've been saying. I've been saying the difference between the, the cocaine 80s and now is that at least then we got shit done. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's just like slavery. Gets things done. Try building a pyramid without it. Yes, it, it is part of the the, the, the reason that the, the economic imbalance uh, in, in is certainly you know, somewhat responsible for why people would rather uh, take pills and sleep half the day than go out and work shitty jobs and uh, you know not progress in any particular career. Well, they you wind up. Uh this is like in uh, American Beauty, where the guy says he's been sleepwalking through his life. And then one day, he woke up.
I was trying to tell someone the plot of Matrix and the plot of American Beauty is the same film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people don't get that. Yeah, well, Kevin Spacey was much cuter than Keanu Reeves. Well, a better actor, too, but Keanu's very photogenic. Especially in science fiction and in a leather coat. Do you have a coat like that, Leonard? <laughs> Doesn't everyone. <laughs> At least if you're from the East Coast where it does go below 50 once in a while. I know uh, by significant like other rats. Today said, you better wear long pants today. It's only going to be in the 80s. That's <laughs> 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 sort of humor. I'm, I'm wearing long pants today. I feel a little hot. But I, mean, I used to think my sister was Meshuggah because she lived uh, in Palm Springs. She would come up to uh, Seattle and it would say it would be 75. And she'd have a coat on because she was so cold. Say, how can it be cold at 75 degrees? Then I went up to Alaska. It was the temperature. There was an increase that day. Went up to 42. People are out there in their bikinis. <laughs> it all depends on the thickness of your blood, the thickness of your skull, and how uh, you know acclimated you are well, to it. It won't be that cold for much longer. No. <laughs> no, it certainly won't. It's going to be a heat wave, tropical heat wave. Because yeah. I was up there, it was 30 degrees below zero in Anchorage. It's a little dangerous to uh, to breathe that, so people don't go outside very much. Yeah, it, it could crystallize in the lungs and yeah. destroy your capillaries and you suffocate. Well, it seems like the conversation is getting a little cold. <laughs> yeah, oh, there you go. Oh, did I bump? Oh, God, wait. So, okay, how many places you got this film festival going on? You got it going on in Santa Monica well, we next seven month. seven days in New York, and then, I mean, seven days in L.A., and then the next day we start a seven-day film festival in New York City uh, from November 2nd to November 8th. And then we take a break until next year. We'll see what happens. Huh. Do you have any others uh, besides New York? You still uh, do... Uh... It's almost it's the end of the year. We're, we're wrapping up. Ah. Uh, what we do have is some great films planned for the next two film festivals. Wow. And if anybody, ever, anybody listening or still listening... Uh, if you have any films or people you know making films about addiction or mental disorders, uh, we're easy to find. It's the Real Recovery Film Festival dot org. Real is spelled R E E L. When we started out ten years ago, every film we showed was on a thirty-five millimeter film. This year, none. They're gone. So we're thinking of changing the spelling of the film festival to R E A L. Since nobody under 50 knows what a R-E-E-L is anymore. Except so, for the guys that uh, do the real recovery fishing expeditions. Right. No reason to mention that, Earl. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. Yes, really. Well, I should, <laughs> you know, I got to, I'd like to take out the hook for you right now. Uh-oh. 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 If you would, uh, just don't throw them back, please. <laughs> don't throw them back. Hey, Gil, is no, that you? <laughs> no, let me just give them a plug. There is a, a company called Real Recovery, and they help men who have uh, overcome cancer uh, by taking them on fishing trips and trout fishing in America kind of things. And initially when we started, we did have some some words about them not wanting us to use the R-E-E-L recovery. And our promise and our contract says we'll never use Real Recovery without film festival and symposium afterwards, so it can never be confused with Real Recovery. Got it. Uh, but you can look them up, too, if you like the fish and 
you're overcoming some sort of uh, real disease, uh, check them out. We'll do that. I like to fish. Yeah. I haven't had cancer, but my brother has, and my sister did. And you, to you, fishing is picking up tuna fish at this route. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I think I got a can on the line. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's so much sugar. You wish you had a can on the line. Yeah. I got uh, I got a ride from you, though, in a few minutes. You know, it sounds like Leonard may be calling in from New York or Philadelphia. He's calling in from outside. Yeah, he's 20 feet away. <laughs> yeah, he's sitting by, lounging by the pool. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's been, yeah. The atmosphere is cooler out there. Yeah, I was expecting some virgin margaritas while I was out here, but no one has come to serve me anything. <laughs> no virgins and no margaritas, huh? It's a tragic story. Right. Or a, a virgin named Margarita. Look. <laughs> <laughs> da pump No more Brett Kavanaugh jokes. Okay, no more Brett Kavanaugh jokes. You can tell, you know, but you can, but you know how heavily he's drinking today. (laughs) That's because he found out there were no Brett Kavanaugh. The only guy ever saw go through DTs on national TV. (laughs) You know him when you see him. There's a great still picture that was posted on Facebook, and it's just a sheet of a frame from when he was having this kind of meltdown. And all the women's faces you can see are all have these expressions. I'm like, <laughs> you can't see it over the radio, but it's a, just an incredible picture. You also it's really know fascinating. This, you also know batshit crazy when you see it. Uh, Miss Ford, much? Oh, I'll tell you, if I was her, I'd be batshit crazy too. Yeah, I'm sending her some Valium because I know she used up all of hers. <laughs> well, after 36 years, yeah, you're gonna go through a, a bunch of Valium. No, I mean, just, just... Anyways, I know this show is archived. For people who don't know what we're talking about, this, we're talking about how Brett Kavanaugh became the Supreme Court justice that he is today. <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, you're probably right, and uh, thank goodness George for America. George W. Bush uh, has been calling all the senators who were on the, on, the, on, the, uh, on the edge, convincing them to vote yes. God, he's finally doing something right. <laughs> Jeez. I, yeah, I, would, I, I wish someone would, like, connect his... Uh, his AT&T account. Yeah, well, at least he's not allergic to smoke. You want to wrap this up there, Burl? Hey, ladies and thank gentlemen, bobs and dad, boys and girls, kids of all ages, I'd like to thank Leonard Bouchel. As always. Drug smuggler, retired. Yes. And now entrepreneur and producer of the Real Recovery Film Festivals and Symposium. Hey, thanks, Leonard. Thank you, Leonard. Don't thank move. I'll be there with the margarita shortly. Hey, Burl. Yeah. What's next? Magic Matt Allen and the Demons of Decadence live for the Light Up Lounge on Outlaw Radio Live.
take your smoking, drinking, interrupting obsession with you 24 hours a day on any phone or device. And it's all free. Just go to your friendly app store and search for Outlaw Radio. Then look for the red letters on the sign with the bullet holes in it and download it. It's free. Listen free on the road, in your car, at the beach, or in your backyard. It's all free from Outlaw Radio. This is Buddy Twist. Saying goodnight from Hollywood. Oh, oh, oh. 